The Gospel reading is from the book of Mark, the sixth chapter. The reading is printed on the back of your bulletin, or you can follow along in your pew Bibles on page 817. He left that place and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astounded. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that's been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no deed of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed by their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and, and not put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not, un it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and, and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the baptizer on a platter. The king was deeply grieved. Yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, 
brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Word of God, word of life. Please be seated. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's a song that pops into my head every time I hear about John the Baptist. Uh, you might remember it from the musical Godspell. It's uh, the song sung by Isaiah in chapter 40 calling the exiles to prepare for their journey back home. It's also the song sung by John the Baptist some 700 years later, calling God's people to prepare for the coming Messiah. That's how we picture John the Baptist, right? In the wilderness, funny clothes, strange food, baptizing those who came out to the Jordan River, calling people to repentance, prepare the way of the Lord. John is the one who, who points us to Jesus in John's gospel and says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is the one who baptizes Jesus as well, preparing Jesus for his ministry. John prepares the way for this healer, this one who will cast out demons, feed the masses, walk on water, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. And it all begins with John the Baptist, the one who prepares the way of the Lord. But there's this other story about John in the pages of Scripture, the one we hear about today in our reading from Mark chapter 6. It is a gruesome tale, the story of John's death. And did you notice Mark just kind of drops it on us, matter of fact. Mark has just finished telling a story of Jesus sending his disciples out to proclaim the good news town to town, village to village, and they went with nothing but the clothes on their backs. And as they went, they healed the sick, they cast out demons, they called people to repent. And when the news of such things got around to Herod, Herod wondered if John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That's the way Mark tells us the story. When Herod heard of it, he thought John had been raised from the dead. Raised from the dead, the reader is supposed to ask, is John dead? Oh, uh, didn't I tell you? Mark seems to say. Uh, well, let me tell you uh, what happened. When John preached repentance, he meant it. He even meant it for powerful folks like King Herod. And when Herod is found leaving his legitimate wife to marry his half-niece, the daughter of one half-brother who was already married to another of Herod's half-brothers, it's complicated in Herod's house. John tells Herod that this new fling is contrary to God's will. And it turns out Herod and Herodias, the new fling, uh, didn't like being criticized by John. This one they thought was just sort of a lunatic nobody. So Herod threw John and what he presumed to be his big mouth in prison. Now imprisonment should have been enough to silence John. It was certainly enough for Herod or he would have ordered his death right away. But Herodias, Mark tells, us, Mark tells us, wants John dead. 
And of course we already know, because Mark's let the cat out of the bag, that she's going to succeed. And so we lean in close when we hear there's going to be a birthday banquet. Hmm? Banquets mean drinking and dancing and a, a loosening of the kind of control that keeps innocent men alive. And almost as soon as we hear that Herod's going to give a banquet for all his underlings in Galilee, we know that the day of this banquet will be the day of John's death. But we listen closely to hear the grisly details, huh? The rest of the story reads a bit like a folktale. This dancing daughter, whose name is the same as that unlawful wife, uh, whose daughter is this exactly? It's not really explained. Next comes the, the foolish promise of a, of a half-drunk man, drunk with power, drunk with wine, drunk with food, and with youth and beauty on display. Hmm? Herod promises the young girl anything she wants, even half of the kingdom. But we know this isn't going to be about getting half the kingdom. It's going to be about John's murder. Once the dancing daughter has done her job, she has to run out of the room to ask her mother what to ask for, a little detail that kind of heightens the suspense and raises other questions while we wait. Why did she have to run out of the room? Were there only men in the room with Herod? Did she have to run far, or was the queen waiting right behind the nearest door? When the request is finally spoken, the words, the head of John the baptizer, are made more horrible by the weight. But even that's not all. This girl may have been a pawn up to this moment, but this little queen in waiting adds a, a gruesome detail of her own. She's the one who asks for the head of John the Baptist on a platter, and so it is. This is how we hear of John's death. In the midst of a story about Jesus' disciples being sent out into the world, getting a glimpse of life without Jesus by their side, we flash back and hear this grisly tale. Why is this story in our Bibles? Can you just imagine what the vacation Bible school crafts would be like the day this story is told? Huh? The truth is, Mark tells this story not just because it's true. The story is here in Mark's Gospel as a way to begin to shift the story. You see, finally, in these chapters of Scripture known as Mark's Gospel, Mark is not merely telling the story of Jesus the healer. He isn't just telling the story of, Je of Jesus the demon caster outer, the one who feeds the thousands, the one who walks on water. He's telling the story of Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world. He's telling the story of a God who came to earth in human form in order to die. To rise again, yes, but to get to resurrection by way of the cross. And John is sent to prepare the way, not just by pointing, not just by baptizing, not just by calling for repentance, but in fact by dying too. John's death foreshadows the path that Jesus will travel as well. In the coming chapters, Jesus will tell us again and again that he will suffer and die that he too will be confronted by the powers that be and be put to death by them. And not only that, Jesus tells his followers that this will be their path too. It turns out John the Baptist didn't just prepare the way of the Lord, he prepared our way too. Following Christ means picking up our crosses 
as well. Not the best sales pitch, I know. Right? It'd be far better to promise that those who follow Christ will have lives filled with joy and happiness and parking spaces at just the right time when you're running late for your next appointment. Right? It would be far easier to promise that those who follow Christ uh, will experience no sadness or anger or pain or suffering and, we'll, and all of those things will always be held at arm's length. But alas, my friends, that's not the path that Christ calls us to walk. Christ calls us to take up our crosses and follow him, to empty ourselves of pride and self-importance and serve him by serving our neighbors. Two examples of selfless love came to my mind this past week. Of course, I, I couldn't help but think once again of Martin Luther King Jr., whose birthday we celebrated a few weeks ago. As you know, Dr. King was the leader of a nonviolent movement to bring racial justice to this country, to all people, in the 1960s. King, along with so many others who believed in equality and justice for people of all races, was, was uh, assaulted verbally and physically along with all those others who participated, they too were, were uh, put in harm's way for their work on this matter. King paid for that quest for justice with his life. Indeed, Dr. King was a, a modern-day martyr, dying for a cause that was certainly motivated by his Christian faith. For King and so many others, following Christ meant not the easy road or the quiet road, but the cross-marked road which is selfless love. But a second example came to my mind this week, too, one from our own congregation. I found myself thinking of the many feeding ministries of our congregation. There's our five rotary groups who serve a meal here each Wednesday to our noon Wadena Rotary Club, a local service club that raises money for youth scholarships, holds local leaders to the lofty ideal of service above self, Without those meals, without those meal teams, the Wadena Rotary Club would struggle to meet and consequently live out its mission. There's our community dinner. Twice a year, Peggy Larson leads a group of Emmanuelites to prepare a free meal for over 300 members of our community so they can come together for a warm meal and good fellowship and conversation. There's our education committee which works to provide a simple meal to 100 people or so every week, every Wednesday, so that friendships and, and faith can be deepened every single week here at Emmanuel. Between all three ministries, that's over 5,000 meals that are prepared right here at Emmanuel's kitchen every single year. All because people are willing to step up and serve. Beyond that, Emmanuel supports feeding ministries like ELCA World Hunger, the Hilltop Regional Kitchen, Meals on Wheels, the Food Shelf. I haven't even mentioned the nearly 1,000 bowls of soup that get prepared between Soup Tuesdays and Lent Wednesdays. Nor have I mentioned our greatest feeding ministry, one that actually belongs to Christ himself, our fellowship of Holy Communion, where all are welcome to God's table to receive forgiveness and the promise of everlasting life. Emmanuel loves feeding people. Now those may seem like two odd things to compare, right? The quest for racial justice and the preparing of meals. Right? But both are examples of selfless love, right? We follow Christ. 
We set down our own interests, our own importance, our own self-centeredness. We pick up our crosses and we fall. Sometimes that moment is big, world-changing stuff. Sometimes it quite literally jeopardizes our lives. Sometimes it's a quieter moment involving ham or sloppy joes. But always, always, Christ calls us away from the comfortable walk to the cross-marked walk, the place where the needs of others come before our own. And so the question that hangs in front of us this morning, where is Christ calling you to walk today? What is the cross that you are being called to bear? How, how are you being called from the path of comfortable, easy, predictable, to the path of service, the path of justice, the path of risk? I can't answer that question for you. would certainly love to sit down with you and think about it together, but I can't answer that question for you. But wherever Christ is calling you, may he strengthen you for that work, remind you that he walks beside you every step of the way. Prepare to walk the way of the Lord. Amen.